0: continuing the sermon series. I know Ryan was here. And, you know, this gentleman really needs no introduction. And we normally don't introduce our our speakers like this. But John asked me to, and it's an absolute honor. As as John Seidel, he's one of the elders here with us. But what I want to tell you about this man, he doesn't know I'm going to do this, is, you know, everybody needs an accountability partner. Everybody needs a spiritual mentor. And this is mine. This is the guy who answers the phone when I call him at 2 a.m. or when I call him at at 6 a.m. or he stops his workout to take my phone calls because there's some crisis in my life. As he knows, he does that quite often, and I just want to thank you. And I know God's put this amazing story in your life. And so, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, John Seidel. Morning, everybody. I, uh, for those of you who don't know me, yes, John Seidel, uh, have the honor of being—we don't say member, an owner here at New Passion Church. Uh, I'm on. Uh, been asked to be and serve uh, Christ on the leadership safety and my favorite the building maintenance team Uh, and for the next three hours (laughs) for about the next 30 minutes I'm going to share my story now uh, I'm going to tell you the good the bad and the ugly I'm not really going to talk about all the successes God has blessed me richly and I don't want you to feel sorry for me or have pity Uh, Deb and I are extremely blessed uh, Jesus is my Lord, uh, but young people especially, some of the things I'm going to share, I beg you, don't do those things. We're going to talk a little bit about peer pressure and its effect on my life today, and sometimes it's hard to not belong, but to belong, there, there, there is a price. Please uh, bow with me a, as I pray. Heavenly Father, just have one prayer this morning, and that's that your Holy Spirit would come make me an empty vessel. Open my eyes, my heart, my mouth, my ears, and those of everyone here and, and the digital folks today. Uh, let's hear what you have for us, and may all glory be thine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. I was raised in the church by Christian parents, but it didn't mean life was easy. I was born ADHD. Uh, When I was young, they called that being hyper. We didn't know what ADHD was. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 42. And they put me on Ritalin for a few years and Adderall. And I learned to be like you normal folks. Because when you're ADHD, your mind and your mouth, they never stop. They never stop running. And... God gave me the rarest personality on earth. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Myers Briggs personality survey? I'm an INFJ, and INFJs make up less than 1% of the world's population. We're not very well understood. Again, don't feel sorry for me. It comes with a lot of gifts. We have a tendency to be able to feel, not just hear what you say, we hear what you don't say. We feel what you're feeling that's a curse as well as as a blessing also INFJs were we're, uh, introverts and you're like well you're up there talking to a large group of people I'm in my comfort zone kind of an ambivert if I'm in my comfort zone I'm very outgoing Uh, if you take me to the fair Disney World or a theater full of uh, crowded uh, with people I'm going to roll up into a ball and I'm not going to say much Uh, and again don't feel sorry for me that's just the way I'm put together and I've I developed over the decades. I'm 67 now, some coping mechanisms to help me get through all of that. But when I was a little boy in my threes and fours, I threw horrible tantrums. Now, my dad was a deacon in the church. He was in the Air Force. And he was a new Christian. My mom had been a Christian all of her life. And they didn't know what to do with me. And I didn't realize growing up in the church that that was the only place I was ever really going to fit in because I got grace and mercy regardless of my behavior. I was a terrorist. And again, don't feel sorry for me. It's just the way I was made. Now, some of my terror was food-based. I found out when I was 42 also that I was, I'm allergic to wheat, yeast, rye, malt, barley, corn, peanuts. I was fed that stuff my entire life, and some of it affected my behavior, but my, ha- my behavior was atrocious. It was atrocious to the point that my mom took me to Tyndall Air Force Base Elementary School where my dad was stationed and said, take him or I'm going to kill him. And I, looking back on my behavior, I don't, I don't blame her and it, and it got worse from there. I was a good student in school, I rarely had to study, uh, that's a gift from God. But I I didn't fit in, I acted out a lot. And and in first grade, the base commander's wife, the colonel's wife, was my teacher. I was left-handed, I didn't fit in. I was the only left-handed kid in the class and she would bring a necktie or a belt from home and she would literally tie my left hand to my side so I couldn't write and she would dig her fingernails and send me home with uh, bloody hands if I used that left hand. So school didn't start off. I was a year younger than everybody else. And when you think about six, the developmental uh, stage of a six-year-old, and then you put one five-year-old in with a group of six-year-olds, you're so far behind developmentally that you just can't cope. But somehow, uh, again, because of grace and mercy, uh, I survived. I survived. Romans twelve two says I I promised to wave my pen and I don't know where my pen is. So Romans uh twelve two says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, thank you. Okay, there's a pen. Uh I didn't live that. I was raised in the church. My father started out as a youth pastor. Uh, I was in church every sermon or every Sunday. And there are very few sermons that weren't preached to me as a child. And I wasn't allowed to sit in the back with the other boys because we'd goof off. And, and, and occasionally when I was allowed, I'd mess up. And my dad would say, John, go sit with your mom. And that meant a whooping uh, after, after church. So I, I had to sit in the front and, and pay attention. But... I acted out in school a lot, and I would get sent out in the hallway, and I remember Mr. Holloway. You remember your vice principal's name? Mr. Holloway. He's about this tall, and if he was out in the hallway, and you were standing outside the classroom being disciplined, which is where I spent a lot of my time, he would march you and everybody else to the office, and he'd take a paddle... And we made the paddles in chop class, and we would drill holes in them. (laughs) We thought that maybe that would make it worse. And you had to lean over and hold the chair. And Mr. Holloway would hold, and he'd tell you, you're getting three licks today. He would hold that paddle up, and he'd hold it up. And he hoped you flinched, because guess what happened if you flinched? He doubled your swats. And I got paddled on many days, and eventually a note would make it home. And at first I would be disciplined, but after a while, my parents just didn't know what to do anymore. So they largely just let me be because they found out I was that strong-willed child that was going to do what he was going to do regardless of the consequences. Now, after my dad got out of the Air Force, we moved, uh, we had been in Amarillo, Texas, and I went to 14 schools before I graduated high school. So I didn't have a chance to develop Strong bonds and uh, lasting friendships uh, as I grew up. But uh, when dad retired, he retired at Emerald Air Force Base and, and started preaching there. And then we eventually moved back to Panama City, Florida. And my dad literally built the church at that location with his hands. Uh, he built the physical building. He was the interim pastor there uh, uh, for a while. But my dad never had a credit card. So when he retired from the Air Force, he couldn't get a loan on a house because he didn't have any credit. So while he, he, he got a credit card finally, and while he was building uh, up credit to buy a home, we lived in a trailer park in a rented, rundown two-bedroom trailer. Mom and Dad slept on one end, my sister the other. My brother and I slept on the floor. And the only job my dad could get, uh, because the church wasn't able to pay him, was painting houses. And, and folks, sometimes all we had to eat was beans and dumplings. We were very poor. The clothes I wore came from my cousins. And I was really hard on jeans. I understand my parents not buying me new ones. And mom would patch my jeans and I'd tear them up. I was really active and patch my jeans. Uh, all, we, all our stuff was in storage. We had a radio and a deck of cards. But that was the closest my family ever was. And I want to share that with you because we didn't have any distractions. We didn't have a TV to distract us. Our only social uh, interaction was at church and school. Church? Was, again, hard for me because I couldn't sit still. I still can't sit still. I'm going to walk all over the stage today and it's going to drive you crazy. And I'm going to talk like this. And that's just, that's the way God made me. But I'm working on it. (laughs) But uh, the happiest we ever were as a uh, father, mother, brother, sister, and brother was when we had nothing. And it's funny, one of the things I've learned in life, the more I have, the more I have to worry about. You think about that. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Well, dad finally got a good job. And uh, we moved to Gulf Breeze, Florida, across the bridge from Pensacola. Uh, and I started uh, in, we moved there. I was in 10th grade and I got acne really bad. So here I am, I'm ADHD, I'm an INFJ. And in, in school, I was was pretty shy and I acted out. And now I have acne, But but, God finally gave me something else. I I started running track, and I would run seven miles a day. uh, Because you had to work, in my school, you had to play two sports. You had to run track and play baseball, or play baseball and play football. You couldn't just play one sport. But I found a lot of joy running track because I ran off that extra energy. And then I started to play football. And I wasn't real, real good at it. But practice lasted four hours. It was you know high humidity 98 degrees practice lasted 4 hours and I, and I burn off some of that energy so I'm starting to learn and then I got involved in martial arts and martial arts was good for me because that pent up anger and all that extra energy that needed to go somewhere I could channel into something that was legal but nobody got hurt. Nobody went to jail. Nobody had to get marched down to Mr. Holloway's office and bend over and hold a chair and get hit with a paddle. Uh, and so I finally found something that would help. And yeah, I was in church and we had, a, we had a youth group. But again, I didn't fit in. I wasn't like the other kids. The problem in high school uh, for me was social because... Again, I I hadn't lived in this area my whole life. I played football. I ran track, but I wasn't accepted by the jocks. I made good grades, but I wasn't accepted by the smart kids. And we were a middle-income family, so I wasn't accepted by the rich kids. And it was the point in my life, young people, where I needed to belong to something, to a group And the only people that would accept me were the outcasts because I was an outcast. There was some type of club that the football players could be in. And I remember being in a team meeting. We were watching film for the upcoming game. And the coach said, okay, this is the time of year when we vote people into this. And they voted a couple people in. He goes, what about Seidel? And they all looked at me and went, nope. So I, I, I'm looking for something to belong to. So I joined uh, what we called the freaks. Join the freaks. There is a price to pay, there's a price to pay if you belong to the freaks. You got to use green leafy substance. You have to consume alcohol. Uh, you have to go to parties on the beach. We rented a house on the beach the week before I graduated high school. I don't remember that week. I just don't remember it. Well, I do remember one thing: somebody had brought a little snark sailboat made out of styrofoam that one or two people could fit in. And where Gulf Breeze is, it's a peninsula, and then there's the intercoastal waterway, and then the island that is Pensacola Beach. And I sailed that thing across from the peninsula to the island. I don't know how to sail. I made it because the wind was blowing in the right direction. And somehow I figured out how to get back and walk three or four miles down the beach back to that house. But the intercoastal waterway is used by barges with all sorts of, you know, cargo containers and oyster shells. So it's a wonder. And, it, and it's full of sharks. Though it's a wonder, it's a wonder that I, I survived that. Now, uh, Proverbs 19.21 as says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. After high school, it's time to go uh, uh, get a job. I tried vocational school. I tried to become a, a I'm, I'm terrified of heights. And I thought, what a wonderful way to overcome that fear. I'm going to become a power lineman. And I'm going to look at Sarah. I couldn't cut the math. I couldn't figure out E equals IR. And for those of you who are electricians, we'd put together circuit boards, and I'd make it just exactly like it was in the book, and they'd always go, nope. So, I'm thinking, well, I'll join the Air Force because they'll make me learn, and I did. Uh, I come from a military family. Uh, My Uncle Carlton, my dad's youngest brother, was in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force. My Uncle Bob was in the Coast Guard in World War II. My Uncle Fred in the Army. My Uncle Doug died... Uh, They shipped him home from the Korean War, and he passed away uh, as a result of the war. My dad was in Vietnam uh, in the Berlin Airlift, and he was in, uh, uh, I don't know, he he was in France for a while. Uh, On my mom's side, uh, our family actually came from, my mom's family came from Germany to South Carolina, but they were abolitionists. So, they left South Carolina, moved to Illinois, and two of them uh, gave their lives, in. The war between the states, and I have an ancestor that went up and down San Juan Hill with Teddy Roosevelt. The biggest influence, and, and many of you know, I've got, well, first off, I've got 56 tattoos, but this one memorializes my Uncle John Henry Seidel that I was named for, my dad's oldest brother. He, he uh, still served aboard the USS Arizona in Hawaii, and he gave his life for our nation. And I grew up in the shadow of all of those family members who served honorably in the military. And not directly, but my dad did raise me to be in the military. And I actually wanted to be a Marine uh, my whole life. But my dad sat me down and he goes, okay, are you going to make a career out of the military? I said, no, I just want to serve four years. He said, then you need to think about the, something in the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, Electrician, HVAC, something you can do when you get out of the military. And and that's why I chose the Air Force also. Marine Corps basic is like, what, 11, 12 weeks long? And the Air Force is six. Come on. <laughs> I remember uh, as a child in 1963, four and five, we were stationed as a family in Clark Air Base, Philippines. And Vietnam was going hot and heavy. And my dad was the chief aircraft electrician on that flight line he was required to meet every plane of wounded that came from Vietnam and he took my brother and I with him on many occasions he said I want you to see the cost of war and I was in fifth grade I remember watching this plane unload the stretchers coming off the nurses and some of those men didn't make it they were covered up with sheets we'd go to the hospital on our regular appointments if we had a cold or the flu or needed a shot and those men would be in wheelchairs with no legs or missing an arm or a bandage on their head and and so i grew up knowing it's not like it is not like it is in the movies but My dad retired from the military, I said, and he became a pastor, and he encouraged me to go into the ministry. He didn't want me to be in the military. He had seen too much. He he had had to get men and drag them out from underneath their bunks in the barracks in Clark Air Base, Philippines, to send them on temporary duty uh, to one of the airfields in Vietnam or Thailand. And those guys, they didn't want to go. He did want me to be a pastor, but... uh, Again, I had fallen in, young folks, with the wrong crowd. They don't uh, condone partying in seminary. <laughs> they just don't. I'm not saying that maybe at some point in time it never happened, but it, it's certainly not uh, condoned. So I finished boot camp. I went to boot camp, and I missed uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And uh, the military folks, veterans, you know, they kind of take those things away from you, and you have to put them back. But I finished in January of 74, uh, three months after my 18th birthday. Drill Sergeants Lothrop, I remember their names, McGillicuddy and Padgett were happy to see me go. I was ADHD in boot camp as well. And yes, this got me in trouble on more than one uh, one occasion. Um, Now, I had joined to go into electronics, and they sent me to school at Lowry, what was Lowry Air Force Base in Denver, Colorado. And they said, your hearing's too bad to work on the flight line. So they sent me to Offutt Air Force Base, Nebraska, as a heavy equipment operator on the flight line. And I drove bulldozers and front end loaders and uh, snow removal equipment. Uh, and I rented a 75-pound jackhammer with a 15-pound bit uh, on the flight line next to the airplanes that I wasn't allowed to work on. Eventually, they decided uh, to give me a hearing test and it had gotten worse. They went, why are you a heavy equipment operator on the flight line? And they put me in the commissary. Uh, I did have two two jobs in high school. I worked at a gas station and I was a janitor uh, at a grocery store. And they didn't have bailers back in the day, so my job was every Monday to clean the incinerator where we burned the boxes. One of the biggest reasons that I went to school for elect- to, to be a lineman and then joined the service is the only job I could get in 1973 was at a grocery store. I was running away from that, and yet that's where they put me. It was an obstacle to go back to that, uh, but I chose to persevere. I remember going home on leave uh, one time, and, and I had a Dodge van. Ah, we would go to concerts in Lincoln, Nebraska in that van. And uh, I made an illegal U-turn. My mom was with me in the front seat. I was taking her to the mall to shop. And I didn't know that a local police officer had seen me make that U-turn. See, my dad had become an insurance adjuster, and he knew all the police very well. And this was a police officer that I knew when I was in high school. It was a a small town. And that police officer followed me and he ran my plates. Young folks, folks in your 40s, those folks who are over 55. And it came back that I was suspected of dealing in narcotics. My dad and I had, had always had a strained relationship What do you think that did to our relationship? He went to pick up an accident report and that's when they told him about it. And he said, let's go for a ride. And he said, well, he told me what I just told you. He said, I don't want you to embarrass your mother. Whatever you've got, get rid of. And I expected a lambasting, but my father gave me grace. And he gave me mercy. And I was very appreciative of that. And that was the day that I started to repair that prodigal son relationship. It didn't repair that day. But my dad giving me grace and mercy that day started me on the road to uh, uh, a strong relationship with him. And I will say to parents... Whatever age you are, whatever age your children are, the quickest way to repair uh, damage to your relationships is through grace and through mercy. Well, they shipped me to Okinawa. It's a very, very nice place, a beautiful island. People are great people. But I was young and single, and although I dated some young folks, I was still paying the price to be with the outcast. I was still not living the values that I was raised with. Right, Brian? Wasn't doing it. And I don't say this to glorify drugs and alcohol, but you had a ration card when you're overseas and you get X amount of beer and X amount of hard liquor and X amount of wine. And I had a group of friends... And what happens in the military? Somebody got there a year and a half ago, and then somebody got there nine months ago. Somebody got there a year ago. Somebody got there six months ago. When you join a unit, you're the new person. Nobody wants to know you. And so you've got to submit to the group norm to fit in. But then one by one, those people who have been there longer than you, it was an 18-month sentence. I mean 18-month tour. Uh, those people leave and then you don't have a group anymore and as that group got smaller and smaller I didn't have anywhere else to go I didn't want to I was that guy now that didn't want to know the new people and so every month I filled my ration card if you understand what I mean every month because I was bored because I was lonesome because I wasn't Doing what I was taught as a child and filling my life and filling my day with prayer, worship. I wasn't in the body like you are today. And so I found a different body and then all of a sudden I wake up one day and I'm alone. Finally, what, what, what did it for me, <clears throat> a friend of mine, Ernie, Ernie was leaving, Ernie was crazy. We went to the uh, airman's club to party. And we partied before we went to the Airmen's Club. And Ernie didn't, he had had to turn in his card because he was leaving the next morning. And so the bouncer really got in Ernie's face. And of course, you know me, I'm gonna go jump in the middle of it. And somebody grabbed me from behind and I said, let me. And by the time I got to go, they had hit me upside my head, put 18 stitches in my ear, broke my ankle. This security policeman was six foot eight and weighed well over 240 pounds. They took me out and bounced me off the side of a pickup truck and finally threw me in. And then they took me to the dispensary and had me sewed up. And they had 17 charges against me. But I had witnesses. I had a girlfriend that stood there and watched all of that. And they decided because there were witnesses that they would drop all but one charge. And that was, I hate to use the word in church, but drunk and disorderly and that's when I got when I sobered up and it happened pretty quick because of the pain that I was in I got down on my knees and I said God if you will get me home I'll come home and on May 19th 1977 the airplane touched down in the USA and that doesn't mean Okinawa wasn't a good place but I was happy to be back to the USA, this time at uh, MacDill Air Force Base. I went back to church, Palmasia Christian Church on Bay to Bay Drive in Tampa. It was hard for me to go back to church because I'd been gone so long. And maybe some of you feel this today. I didn't feel worthy to walk through the door. You ever feel that way? But I did. And I met a girl, and we married, and we had two wonderful daughters. Now I have three wonderful daughters. They asked me to be a deacon, again, I didn't feel worthy, but I said, okay, drove the bus, picked the kids up, took them to church, took them home. They asked us to be youth leaders, so we'd take the van, we'd pick the kids up about an hour before church, we'd do an activity, we'd go to church, sometimes they'd have me preach. And then we would do an activity, and then we would take the kids home. I was the treasurer. There were no spreadsheets. There were no computers. Everything had to be done by hand. I replaced drugs and alcohol with worship, Bible study, prayer, and get this, because this is important, service. I took bad habits and replaced them with the godly habits that I was actually taught as a child. And walked away from. Christmas in 1979, we took our firstborn, newborn daughter, Carrie, uh, to my parents' home. We we drove. It took about, I guess, eight hours, ten hours to get from Tampa to Pensacola. The speed limit was 55, and they meant it. And uh, I remember my dad... Leaning back in his easy chair and holding Carrie up. She was just a tiny little thing. That's when we made peace. That's when the prodigal son came home. I'm so grateful. Because two weeks later, my dad died in a car wreck. He was only 50 years old. But I got to make peace. Not only did I come home to Jesus, but I came home my earthly father, who gave me grace and mercy. In 1979, they gave me another hearing test. I'm, they, they said uh, this young doctor right out of medical school, he says, Air Force doctor, I think you have a brain tumor. Ah, whatever. What do you know? Just a doctor. And they shipped me to the hospital in uh, uh, Wolford Hall Medical Center. Air Force Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. And they ran a bunch of tests and they put me in this booth and they spun this thing around and they ran hot water in my ear and cold water in my ear and made me pretty sick. And uh, one morning, I've been there a week or two and they run all these tests and they come, all the doctors were on rounds. They're standing around my bed and they're smiling and I'm like, okay, I'm going home. They said, you have a brain tumor and it's really big. It was bigger than my thumb and it had grown from my inner ear into my brain stem and wrapped around the artery on the right side. And I don't know, I'm gonna look at Tammy, the nurse. I don't know if that's blood going in or out and it doesn't really matter. It was messing with me. That should probably answer some of the questions y'all have about my mental state, I suppose. Uh, And it was a very adhesive tumor. So I lost some gray matter. So that kind of adds to that. But I was, uh, the surgery lasted seven, eight, nine hours. And it actually took three months to get the doctors together. I was in the hospital all that time. And uh, they said I had a 30% chance that I would die. But for some reason, because I had, uh, I had reconciled with my heavenly father, I was at total peace. God, it's in your hands. I mean, I can't do the surgery. Worrying isn't going to change anything. And, uh, but I did, I did uh, fall into a coma. I got meningitis and I fell into a coma and I, I don't know how long I was in the coma, but I was aware of what was going on and I knew if I didn't fight, I would die. And so I prayed, because you can pray, at least I could pray in this coma. Uh, and I fought and by the grace of God, not by anything I did, uh, but by the grace of God, I mean, he gave me the will to fight. I'm, I'm, I'm here today, and I'm completely deaf on the right side, and I only got 40% on the left side, and when I laugh at you when you talk to me, it's because you say something, but I hear something totally different, because B's, earlier, when we were setting up the sound, Philip's like, okay, I need you to say things with B's and T's and C's and D's, all I heard was, because I don't, I can't differentiate consonants, (laughs) Deb says I should wear my hearing aids, (laughs) talk to the hand, baby. I can't, when when you've been through a a near-death, I'm going to call it a near-death experience, or you face death, or you face your own mortality like that. I can't explain to you how wonderful life is. Each sunset, each sunrise, each day, uh, time with your family. I was supposed to be dead at the age of 22, and I'm 67. Statistically, I'm supposed to be in prison with my personality type and my ADHD and maybe a little Asperger's thrown into that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a clinician. I'm supposed to be in prison, but I'm not. But it's not because of me. It's because of the church and grace and mercy and grandmothers that prayed for me and grandfathers that prayed for me. There were other assignments. I got two minutes and 53 seconds left. And then Carell's going to come up here and start playing. We'll just ignore him. (laughs) Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota. And and it sounds bad, but it was wonderful. The hunting, the fishing, the change in seasons. One day of summer and then winter. Uh, San Antonio, Texas, Fort Lee, Virginia. At each location, as a family, we served uh, a local congregation in some capacity. We didn't just go. We didn't just give of our financial resources. We gave of our time. We gave of our talent. It doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. It just means we did. We did it. We did it. It's not that hard to serve. Uh, in Turkey, we smuggled Bibles. I hope nobody's listening. We smuggled Bibles into Turkey. I had diplomatic immunity. They couldn't do anything to me. But I'd have done it anyway, I think. I don't know. But We did. Anytime there was a new place and we didn't have a church home, we found a church home. My first marriage of 29 years ended. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, that's a private, personal thing. If somebody has questions, come see me. But it's an amenable. It was an amenable separation. When my mother's, uh, well, I, I actually left Virginia and went to Fort Hood, Texas to run a commissary there. I had a cushy job at the headquarters. I was at GS-14. I told people what to do, and they didn't do it. And I wrote them up, and nothing happened to them. Uh, <laughs> government, anybody work in government? Yeah, okay, Philip. you know. Uh, when my mom's Alzheimer's got so bad that it was obvious she was losing her mind, and I remember the last time she knew me, I had on bib overalls and I was driving the car, and she was sitting on the passenger side. She said, "I have I had a son who I have a son who's in the Air Force, or I think he might be retired." And then she looked at the back seat at my sister and said, "Who's the guy driving in the bib overalls?" And I went, "Oh, Mama." Well, they moved me here so I could be closer and visit her. And uh, I went to the Class Six store one day on Port uh, Gordon, and I met this beautiful lady. And she was doing a demo, and I gave her my business card and said, hey, I'm the new commissary officer. She wasn't wearing a ring. I wasn't wearing a ring. Had nothing to lose, right? Everything to gain. And I gave her my business card and said, hey, I need somebody to come uh, do a demo for Blue Bunny ice cream. She did that. A couple weeks later, you know, every year we used to have these big tents. We'd bring in a a circus tent, and we'd put stuff in it uh, to sell, and she brought some stuff over. And I'm like, okay. Didn't work the first time. I'm going to ask her again, and I asked her out. And we went on our first date to Monterey's over by, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm, not advertised Monterey's, but where Columbia and Washington Road meet. And we both asked each other the same question at the same moment. We didn't say, are you a Christian? We looked at each other and we said, do you go to church regularly? And so here God had put somebody by his grace, by his mercy in my life that didn't just say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but she was actually going to church. And, and then, of course, we married uh, but the church we were in at the time we felt like wasn't really feeding us uh, and we went to True North for a while and we felt fed but then we moved to Harlem and we found new passion and we came in and a wonderful beautiful lady who's with Jesus now uh, Perry Lynn put us to work so he put me and, and Wayne to work as greeters and Deb as a greeter and she didn't ask us. She wasn't like that, was she, y'all? You're a greeter, you're a greeter, you're a greeter. And you better. And then you'd see Ryan walk around with a clipboard. You run. This guy, stand up, Ryan. You ever see this guy with a clipboard run? Because he's going to give you something to do and you're not allowed to say no. Folks, you aren't meant to do this alone. You're meant to do this in a group. And we all gravitate to group. I gravitated to the wrong group. Young people, do not gravitate to the wrong group. It's not worth the price you'll pay. With your body, with your mind, with your spirit, with your self-esteem. If those rich kids don't want to hang out with you, that's all right. If those jocks don't want to, and, and nothing against those people, we'll hang out with you. God made you to want to be in this body. This is the group we belong to. These are the group norms we follow. Those commandments aren't suggestions and they're all there for a very very good reason I want to read Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 and then maybe we'll close two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor I like to have Wayne on the other end when I carry a board or, or, or Philip, or somebody else if either of them falls down one can help the other up But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And I think that's against the evil one, don't you? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's you, us, and Jesus Christ. I don't know you, all of you. But Romans 10 says, hear, believe, confess. And on, on my phone uh, that I have here, I have probably 30 verses, and I'm not going to read you about the fact that we're justified. When, when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we accept him into our life, we become what's called justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a totally different sermon, but most of you have probably heard that. But what that means is all those stupid things John Seidel did, either because his brain, and I'm not making excuses, my brain chemistry was out of control. And I still have some struggles. Life, life's not easy. But all those things that we've done in the past, it's just as if you never did them. Don't look at yourself through your own eyes. Don't look at other people and, and, and compare yourself to them. Look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus who says you are justified. Look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus who doesn't see your sin. If you don't have a church home today, I hope you'll think about us. Uh, And for those of you that would like prayer, I asked a group of folks to stand on that side of the sanctuary. If you want prayer today, if you need to know more about study, how to have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Please go back there and see Philip and Shelly and anybody else that wants to go back there and pray and, and minister. Uh, worship team, would you guys come up? Girl, can I press the button? <laughs> All right, God bless y'all.